Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Thursday morning. I mean, it's like clockwork around here, man. Sunshine every day. Climbing to the high 80s, maybe low 90s. We've been lucky here lately. Been in the 70s and 80s. Summertime, nearly upon us. And good morning and welcome as always to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. Now, we are keeping our fingers crossed that all goes well with the program from a technical standpoint today. It is always on very shaky ground from a commentary standpoint. But technically speaking, we are generally driven in the good hands on the wheel by, of course, Casey McAllister. More on him in a minute. But today, BLP, as he's known, Big League Paul, along with Elliot Rearing, A.K.A. Zebra. <laughs> Jacob Tissett's even coming over here and, 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 and helping out on the big board. Paul, how are we looking? I mean, you're staring into that whole thing. I'm a little worried about you. Okay, well, We've already gone black. Well, no, We've already right. gone black. We are, we are here. We're, we're a minute and a half in and we're black. We, uh, we're here. We're just, I'm trying to figure out how to get the graphics going because <laughs> we had to do a whole new graphics package yesterday. And... Uh, the graphics aren't popping up on the screen. So let me see if this maybe works. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Nope. We'll, we'll try it. I'll figure it out here. All right. I'll figure it okay. out. We'll rock through it. All right. Go ahead. And, and Elliot, I mean, are, you, are you lending a hand or are you just I'm, staring at a screen no, with a I'm blank staring. stare? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying my best Oops. here. I'm moral support right now. So we'll see. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what happens here. <laughs> well, Jacob, why are you sitting there? Get over there and, and help him out, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, you know. We're doing our very best around here to get this thing yeah, going. I can't even problem. lean on Paul for our regular open here, I don't think. Our program comes your way Monday through Friday, 10 A to 12. P. He's on it. That's Eastern Time. You can follow us on YouTube. Many of you in the chat already. We will get to that in a moment. Yes. Uh, that's the Chatterbox Sports page. And you can join us in podcast form. Our numbers are climbing 20% every month. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Ho-hum! Another game, another win, much like the weather around here. For <laughs> your Cincinnati Reds. Much like Tuesday night, another nail-biter. Boston kept threatening and threatening, especially in that seventh inning. But the bullpen hung on. In relief of starter Luke Weaver, who again was solid last night. Not great, but solid. Went five and two-thirds, allowed three runs. The Reds beat Boston 5 Four. Kevin Newman and Matt McLean each had two base hits. Spencer Steer just continues to have an outstanding rookie season. Okay. He had a two-run home run. The Reds have ripped off five straight wins tonight. They will try for a perfect 6-0 and road trip through Chicago and Boston. And really, what a pitching matchup tonight. You got two power guys. Hunter Green okay. against lefty Chris Sale. First pitch at 7-10. Oh, Reds are going to you know, fly out of Boston very late after the game tonight. Probably won't get home and in their okay. beds till 2, 3, 4 in the morning. And then they get up and tomorrow night All right, we're in. they Thanks, face division-leading Milwaukee. Right. Cincinnati is only three games out of first place in the National League Central Division. Nick Kirby, our good buddy, 
will join us shortly to talk about the Red Legs. Will we see Ellie De La Cruz this weekend at Great American Ballpark? Rumors continue to swirl that we will, so please stick around for that. On the hardwood, the NBA Finals start tonight in Denver. The Western Conference champion Nuggets will host the Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat. The Nuggets have never won an NBA title. Tip-off, game one, 8.30. Not a bad day for Monty Williams. He has agreed to a six-year, $78.5 million contract to coach the Detroit Pistons. It's the largest coaching deal ever in NBA history. Williams was fired in Phoenix this year after the Suns failed to reach the Western Conference Finals this season. We've been wondering about Zach Eady, College Basketball Player of the Year. He's coming back. The 7-4 Purdue Boilermaker will play one more year at the collegiate level. He averaged 23 points and 13 rebounds per game last year. And as you know, Purdue will play Xavier in West Lafayette this season. And then on the pitch, we don't have Casey to lean on today for this. FC Cincinnati. I mean, I got to tell you. I mean, we're talking about the Reds winning games. They're still under 500. This FC Cincinnati team is, I mean, they are rolling. 11 wins, one loss, three draws. They beat New York last night 3-1 to one in MLS play. They have by far the best record in the league. Next up, a home game at TQL. You know that'll be sold out Saturday night against the Chicago Fire. Well, we mentioned we have Nick Kirby coming up in about uh, five, six, seven minutes. But I got to tell you, one very disturbing trend on a very active chat this morning. Very active. Sir Boy Wonder has come out guns a-blazing. I mean, (laughs) from every direction, right? But the disturbing thing here is... Casey McAllister. He is actively involved in the chat today. It's his first day off in preparation of his wedding day. 48 hours plus and counting. Paul, do you find that disturbing in any form or fashion? Uh, Yeah, we were talking about it yesterday, and I was trying to convince him that he needed to truly take a day off. And I... uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, to Casey's credit, I would not have been able to get the graphics up there had he not called me a minute ago. And I do apologize if you heard my uh, little ASMR microphone call. <laughs> so we, we have the microphones here labeled Casey and Paul, but I realized I'm not sitting in my normal seat. Oh. So I actually muted Elliot, not me. So you all got to hear me walk through the, uh, the graphics thing. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, still, we're, still getting, we're still getting ourselves under control here. But... We're all good, and Casey, uh, maybe Casey sticks around here, and let's make sure Nick Kirby gets on here. I see Nick Kirby. <laughs> Nick, I see you. I see you. I see you, Nick. I, I'm going to get you on here in just a minute. Abraham gonna... chats in with emojis. He says, I think it just shows that Casey is a true, he's got the peanut shell and a pair of scissors. <laughs> Nutcutter Nation. Unite. All right, is Nick ready to go? Not yet. Not yet. Oh boy. Not yet. Not, oh, I'm telling man. you. I'm telling you, not this yet. This is like you know. I'm telling you, not yet. out in the boat, <laughs> right? 
They're in the boat. Here comes the storm. Here come the 10-foot yeah. waves in the fishing boat, right? And they're all wondering, who's going to help us here? And Jesus is like, guys, I got it covered. Relax. All right? You're losing faith here, right? I mean, this is uh, – and Sir Boy Wonder is asking, did I do something wrong? No, I didn't do anything wrong. No, Sir Boy, you're on your game. I have no beef with Sir Boy. He's been very busy lately. Do you have a favorite member of the chat, Tom? What's that? Do you have a favorite member of the chat? No, you know, I, I think they no all favorites. bring different. It's like a really good team, right? You know, I, I don't know if this bunch has any stars or not, all right? <laughs> but a really good team has got to have contributions in different ways from different players, right? Absolutely. As a man, you know, as Clint Eastwood once said, a man's got to know his limitations. So, you know, you, you've, got, you, you've got guys that are there regularly. Sir Boy, one of them, right? Mouse Cop, many, many others. They're regularly PB's Ghost, AJ, so on and so forth. And, and then you've got guys that drop in that bring a lot to the table. They might be your defensive specialist. They might be your rebound guy if we're using basketball. If it's football, really good blocker and pass protection, right? Uh, really good number three wide receiver. So we, 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 we got all that going on. Um, it's good stuff. It, it is, uh, yeah, we're, we're, he's here. He's here. I know. I keep seeing him. Well, so the problem, in, uh, our preview screen, <laughs> the only, and then all of a sudden the guy, I mean, so here, he just disappeared. So since look, all right, everybody, since we're all in the, uh, we're all, we're all on the same page here and we're all in the, we're all in the trust tree and we all know how this all operates. I'm not sure we all know. No, so, 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 so see, so is. see, here's the, the only thing, the only thing that I, uh, that I forgot how to do here is how to put you guys next to each other. So I have Nick, we can go to Nick right, right well, how now. How about I'll just ask him the questions and then you just put him. That's what we'll do. And I'll, that I'll, okay? that's, no I think, I think, Nick, I think Nick can figure that out. All right. All right, here we go. It's a pleasure to be joined by Nick Kirby. You see him right here all the time on Chatterbox after the games with Trace Fowler, breaking down what's going on. Uh, Nick, you guys have been having a lot of fun on the show. Reds are winning a lot of games. Um, you know, when I bounce around, Nick, I, I mean, I get the feeling there are a lot of people out there that are wanting to sort of jump back on this Reds bandwagon. Maybe they've been off of it for a while, you know, even going back to last year or the year before, whatever it might be. Expectations weren't very high. Now, all of a sudden, they've won five in a row. Uh, they're playing really exciting baseball. But people are a little reluctant to sort of jump on again. Do you get that feeling? Yeah, hey, Tom, how you doing? Um, Good, buddy. Yeah, definitely. I, I I think there's some reason for for caution this season. Uh, I, I know I've said on uh, our show many times. Uh, I'm definitely more optimistic about the overall future than like the prospects of this season. Um, as exciting and as good as the Reds have played of late, I mean they do still have like playoff odds below four percent. So I don't think we need to completely be jumping overboard and and saying, oh, this is our year and that kind of stuff. Now it's been fun and they're hanging around and. You never know what can happen in a baseball season. Uh, but overall, I, I'm definitely more looking towards the future than this season, but I'm definitely really enjoying uh, things right now as they stand. 
All right, you know, you, you hit on a, on a key word here, which I think is certainly appropriate for this team. They are really fun to watch the way they run the bases. They're not a big home run team, but they're a very aggressive team. They're, they, they seem like they are enjoying going out there to compete each and every night, win, lose, or not, you know, whatever. The, the Reds faced two really good starting pitchers that had been pitching very, very well, um, and, and Bella and uh, uh, James Paxton. And uh, they got Bella out after um, four innings, and they got Paxton out after five innings. Both of those guys pitched well. They got a lot of swing and misses. Uh, but the Reds just they, they grind out every single at-bat, and they, they dragged this pitch count out. And it was no better example than last night. Uh, Paxton's in the fifth inning at 80 pitches with two outs, and Jose Barrero comes up. And the Reds with Jose Barrero, um, Luke Malley, and uh, I'm forgetting someone else, someone in the bottom of the order, uh, got 20 pitches to extend him and uh, get him out of the game. And then they were able to get into the bullpen and score some runs against the Red Sox bullpen. And that's just, I think, what's been the most exciting to me is just, man, every single night these guys are grinding out at bat after a bat after a bat, and they're not letting their – their deficiency in power, which is very clear. They, they clearly have a power deficiency. They're not letting that stop them from still producing and scoring runs, and, and that's been really cool to see them kind of like overcoming that. Um, you, you know, you were talking about this season compared to the future and your level of optimism, but, 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 but Nick, let, let, you know, let's lay it out on the, on the table here. Uh, back to what the original first question was about sort of fan apathy, that kind of thing, and you know, based on some of the comments made by the front office and not spending a lot of money, having a rebuild plan, et cetera, et cetera. You don't think at all that the Reds should consider being a little more aggressive knowing that here we are and the team is three games out of first place right now as far as entertaining the possibility of trying to get better not just from the guys in their minor leagues, but maybe making a deal to bring somebody else in? I think overall they should stick to the plan. Um, I mean, things could change here. We still got two months before the trade deadline. So let's say the Reds go on some crazy run and they're five games up. Okay, then we could completely reevaluate it. But if the Reds are, you know, a couple games out at the trade deadline, I think they should overall stick to the plan. Um Maybe they could deviate a little bit. Maybe a guy like Buck Farmer, who's a free agent at the end of the year, instead of just cashing in on him and trading him for, you know, a team's 40th best prospect, they could hold on to him. Um, I could see maybe this team doing something similar to what they did in 2019. I know, Tom, you would remember this. Um, when they acquired Trevor Bauer at the trade deadline, a guy that hadn't really pitched that well up to that year, still had another year of control left, or so they were kind of buying low on him, where he did help the team now but it was more about the next year. I could see maybe some moves like that if there's someone out there that has that type of um, a player that they that they want to move on from. Um, I could see a move like that, but I, I don't think overall you're looking to really deviate from the plan at, the, at this point at least. Okay, the, 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 look, the, the article was written in The Athletic by C. Trent Rosecrans. Ken Rosenthal has written about it. We had Scott Boris on here yesterday, uh, Jonathan India's agent. Look, I mean, you know, if indeed they're going to continue to bring young players up from the minor leagues who by and large are infielders, if not exclusively infielders, um, and look, that's four different positions on the field. We get it. 
but there's not enough room for all of them. Um, let's start with India. Uh, you know, now, now, I thought Scott Boris brought up a great point yesterday. I don't know if you caught our, our interview with him at all yesterday or not. When we asked him specifically about India making a move from the infield to the outfield, he talked about another player he has in Minnesota, young player, talented player, that the Twins did that. The guy goes to the outfield and he gets hurt. So, you know, do you think that we're going to see um, – India, A, asked to uh, move positions. B, do you think the Reds could or should entertain the idea of trading him? Let's start on the position moving. Uh, I think it would be probably a mistake to try to do that in the middle of the season. I don't think that would be fair at all to Jonathan India. I think you need to give him a full offseason. Um, I think if you're going to hold on to India, I think that probably would be a good move. I think you could probably get by with him. Um, this year as maybe a guy that plays half of his time at DH, half of his time at second base. And then you could put Elliott third base and, and shortstop and McLean at shortstop and second base. That's what the Reds did in or the Louisville Bats did with, with Ellie and McLean is they, they would have Ellie play some at third base, some at shortstop, McLean play some at um, shortstop or shortstop at some at second base. And it almost feels like that was setting up for this possibility later in the year. Um, so I think that's probably what you would do this year, assuming you keep India. As far as trading Jonathan India, it, it's hard to know if that would be the right move or not without knowing what his value is. I, I have no idea what Jonathan India's value is. Is another team going to value Jonathan India as a fringe all-star second baseman? If that's the case, then I think you should probably entertain some some trade offers for him. Um, if teams aren't value him like that, they're saying he's probably long-term like an outfielder, he probably is not going to warrant enough trade value to to move on. Um, I, I think that the Reds shouldn't be in a rush to trade Jonathan India, but I also don't think they should be scared to trade Jonathan India. That's what the Reds have to do, in, in my opinion, moving forward, is they have to make some of these bold moves that, that, to continue to stockpile talent and to continue to uh, to build a farm system that that can sustain success. So this isn't a one or two year blip where the Reds are good and then they fall right back to the the, the bottom of the division. You know, you bring up a very interesting point here, Nick, because, look, uh, you follow baseball. You follow not only the red system, but other teams and what they're doing. And, you know, generally the franchise that comes to mind uh, that, you know, has in the past, will a doubt continue, without a doubt, continue to do it in the future is Tampa Bay. These are the kinds of decisions that the Rays are not afraid to address and make. It might be unpopular for a short while with the fan base, but, you know, they have a good track record of doing this stuff. If you're going to make those bold moves, as you call them, and not afraid to be aggressive, and that's exactly what they are, bold moves, you just can't miss on the guys you're getting back, right? are another good example of a team that's that did that recently uh, traded Corey Kluber at his peak value and uh, got Emmanuel Class A back for him um, traded Francisco Lindor and got two starting position players that they have right now um, yeah but you have to you can't miss on them um, but you do have to be bold and I do feel like Tampa though and, and I know some people have pushed back on this before 
I almost feel like they're in a better spot because their fan interest is so low in that area that they're able to get away with some of these yeah. moves that maybe a team like Cincinnati, where, yeah, they're not drawing tons of fans. There's a lot of people interested. There's definitely a lot more people in the region interested in the Reds. And um, that almost really works in Tampa's favor in a weird way. Uh, so I, I guess they kind of have that going for them. Well, I mean, I, you know, that, that is a spectacular point. Uh, there's no doubt about it because, you know, who, who, you know, my, my dad has is, is argued for years and years and years that there shouldn't be a baseball team, period, in the state of Florida. I mean, Florida's got a lot of things you love about Florida, but uh, apparently going to Major League Baseball games in that state is not one of them, even with a beautiful new stadium a uh, couple years old down in Miami. You, you look at the Reds' bullpen. First couple of weeks – they were terrible. Ever since then, and they've had some guys in and out, all that sort of thing. But but now collectively, they have been, look at this. Holy <laughs> Moses, what the hell just happened? Big League Paul showed up. <laughs> the, but thank you, Paul. Well done. Bravo. Yeah, we're off center, but we're here. <laughs> I don't know. Minor League Paul today. <laughs> MLP. Um, uh, the bullpen. It, it, it is uh, – they are pitching so well right now. And Young seems to pitch every single day, and, and he's one of those guys that wants a ball every single day when he's the only left-hander down there. I think to David Bell's credit, it's hard to manage when you only have one left-hander in the bullpen and, and trying to figure out when is the right time in the game to use him. I think they've done a nice job in that regard. You agree? Yeah, this was a, a big series for Alex Young as the Red Sox, almost their entire lineup is lefties. Uh, that, that was definitely something that, that was glaring going into this series. But I tell you what, Buck Farmer has been really incredible over the last almost full calendar year. He went down to AAA towards the end of May last year, worked on some things, came back up, uh, I believe it was like on July 9th last year. And he has just been dominant, sub-3 ERA since then. Uh, he has been a really, really nice find for the Reds. And then, obviously, Alexis Diaz and Lucas Sims are really good. It's just really nice that the Reds have at least, like, four. And I, I maybe Jabot probably also should be in that category. Five relievers that you feel good about when they come in. Uh, haven't had that very often over the last couple of years. Well, you're, you're spot on on that. And, 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 the, and the real question is, Nick, obviously, when, when most of the time, and I know Hunter Green had a lengthy outing, long for him anyway, uh, in his most recent start in Chicago, he'll start again tonight. The question becomes, um, you know, David Bell's got a quick hook, and he'll go to that bullpen early on, and they are being used a lot. They're, they're either one, two, or three most innings pitched among all teams in baseball it is how long can it last before they start to wear down. Does that concern you at all? Yeah, I mean, no question. And there's not a ton of depth in the bullpen at, at, at AAA, to be honest. Um, so that definitely is a concern as this year goes on. Um, I do think David Bell has come a little bit in, in terms of, of extending his starting pitching. I know when he first came, first took over 2019, he had that really quick hook. And um, I honestly kind of changed my thinking along with David Bell when, when he first uh, uh took over as his manager, I was like, oh, I love this quick hook. I love, you know, because the, the numbers clearly are, you know, the more times uh, the, the opposing team faces your starting pitcher three, four times, the better they get. But you have to weigh the taxing of the bullpen 
um, and, and uh, the overall um, 162-game season into that. And, and I think David Bell has definitely improved in that that management. Um, I don't really feel like overall he's pulled the starters very often this year. I feel like almost every time he's pulled them, I've, I've thought, yeah, it was time. Honestly, it, there maybe has been some times where he's, he's left them in too long, but that also kind of goes into that whole trying to survive the 162. Well, you know, the other thing about it, too, though, is, Nick, is, is that, you know, those numbers, you're spot on. Uh, they, they will tell you one thing, and it's a great – information is always great to have. But, you know, I, I've talked to guys who were starting pitchers in the big leagues for 30-plus for, for years, and, and almost to a man – They'll tell you, you know, if you're getting back in the old days, 32, 34, 35 starts, they're going to be about seven or eight where you got everything going. They're going to be about seven or eight, and that will vary on the effectiveness overall of the pitcher, how good he is, where you got nothing. And it's what you do with the starts in between. But, you know, when you're looking at some guys and now you're going through a third time in the batting order, I think what you might be seeing with Bell sometimes is, is the eye test right? It might be the third time through the batting order, but on a particular night, there's a guy that's just got stuff going where you're like, you know what? These hitters are not seeing the ball. They, they, they're not seeing it well. They're not getting good swings. They're late on the fastball. They, they, they're uncomfortable with a breaking ball, whatever it might be. So I think, you, I think you're seeing him starting to weigh the two a little bit. Is that fair? Yeah, and there's also the the analytical side in game where they can tell is the spin rate still at right. a, at a certain rate throughout. So there's quantitative ways to actually measure in game as well to see how effective they are. There's just there has to be so many different factors. I think when you're when you're determining pulling a starting pitcher versus not, and uh, where the Reds are at with with this bullpen that's been good, but. I am concerned about the durability. I agree. He does, I think, need to be a little bit more um, aggressive, I guess, for lack of word, and, and keep pushing his starters a little bit deeper in the games just to kind of preserve that bullpen. Um, and I think you'll also see that the Reds have also done, a, I think, a pretty good job this year of shuffling guys back and forth um, from, from AAA, like, like Silvino Bracco has just come up and down. Um, and I think they'll continue to do that to kind of um, – hopefully help steer the ship uh, through uh, June into July. Okay, well, look, um, th th there's this very bright light coming out of the lighthouse that is Ellie De La Cruz. He's basically knocking in a run per game at AAA. He's starting to walk a little bit more, not striking out as much as he was. I think that's one area they felt like they needed to see a little bit more improvement in as this AAA season has gone on. Um, I mean, he, he's the whole package, at least to the minor league level. Uh, everybody around here is screaming for him to come up. Do you think he's at Great American Ballpark tomorrow night? I don't know. He's close. Um, Matt McClain played 38 games at AAA. Ellie is at 34. Christian Encarnacion and Strand is at 33. So they're right at where McClain was when he, when he got called up. Um, I, I don't know. It's, I, I, I go back and forth. I, I, I think one day, yeah, he'll probably be up this weekend. Another, I say, yeah, they'll probably hold him down a couple more weeks. Um, I, I don't really see any any reason for Ellie to to continue to stay in, in AAA. I don't really see any uh, benefit to him. I don't really just see any flaws in his game that are um, 
that he can't work on in the big leagues. Christian Encarnacion Strand, I know you didn't ask me about him, but I'll just jump into him. Please. Uh, there was a clear deficiency in his game, which was walking. And he had only walked, I think, twice through his first 25, 26 games of the season. But over the last week, he has just um, walked every single night. And I think there's been a clear emphasis on Encarnacion Strand uh, that he, he's got to prove his plate discipline. Because I think the Reds want to call these guys up, and they want them to stay. Uh, they don't want to shuffle them back and forth. Um, and Christian Encarnacion Strand has been interesting. He's played exclusively first base over the last – or DH over the last uh, week and a half, two weeks. He was playing a lot of third base. So I'm assuming they're also with him wanting to work a little bit more on his defense. But, yeah, I mean, both of those guys are are, are as ready as you're going to get, I think, at this point. And, uh, man, you're adding them to a lineup that is producing as well as the Reds are right now. And uh, you have a pretty exciting lineup here uh, for the rest of the season. Well, you know, one of the things Scott Boris, and again, he, he just, I just found some of the things he said yesterday uh, to, to just be so interesting because he's been doing this for so long. He's got this enormous team of people uh, that are not only involved in trying to aid players in their performance and what they do nutritionally and physically in concert with the teams and so forth. He said yesterday, I'm not a hitting coach. We're not a pitching coach. We're none of those things. People have those jobs. But from a mental standpoint, you know, he was talking about, uh, I asked him, I said, you know, there, there are some people out there that say the number is fill in the blank. The, the number of innings pitched is fill in the blank. Plate appearances, fill in the blank. Before you can really start to make a determination on a player. He made the comment yesterday, which I found so interesting from a mental side, about all the things of being moved up to the major leagues. And ever since you were in T-ball, these guys ha have been everyday players, the best players on their teams at any level. And then all of a sudden, the challenge is you bring them up to the major leagues, and with everything else going on around them, you're playing them three days a week or four days a week. Um, you know, you just mentioned De La Cruz and Carnacion Strand. If they were to bring these two guys up here, I mean, something's got to give if indeed you want guys playing five days a week. Something has to give. Steers over at first. Senzel's over at third. Stevenson plays a little bit of first. Votto might be coming back. What does all that mean to Encarnacion Strand? Cruz, you've got. McLean's playing short. India's at second base. Again, Senzel at third. I mean... Where are you going to play these guys if you get them up here? Yeah, I was actually looking through this last night, and the one player that has to suffer the most from this is Tyler Stevenson because he's using the DH or first base spot a lot. You can call – you can actually – Will Myers could return, and the Reds could fit all of these guys into the lineup, but the, the common denominator is Tyler Stevenson has to be exclusively a catcher. And that goes against what the Reds' entire plan was this year. The plan was only to play him about 60 times behind the plate and have him play first base and DH the rest of the time. So that's probably the internal weight that the Reds are, are weighing the most is are we willing to bench Tyler Stevenson two, three times a week? Um, and, and to this point, he hasn't really performed, but Tyler Stevenson was such a crucial part of this team. And his development is as important as – 
probably just about anyone this year. So that maybe is, I think, probably the most difficult challenge that the Reds are are weighing right now is uh, is just that. But one other point on Ellie, I think a lot of people forget, Ellie did not play his first game in the United States until 2021. Um, I mean, this guy has flown through the system. The fact that he's even kicking down the door to the major leagues at this stage is really just incredible. Well, I, one other guy I want to ask you about and, and talking about, um, you know, and, and look, uh, I've been the guy on the show, uh, right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent, that has said uh, it, it, it's not time yet to throw in the towel on Jose Barrera. Uh, he, he, everything that Scott Boris talked about yesterday, and when you bring a guy up to the big leagues, it, the Reds have not done with this guy. I mean, in 2019, we're only talking about three seasons ago. This guy had a monster year in the minor leagues for the Reds, double-A and triple-A. He hits 19 home runs. He drives in nearly 70, has 20 doubles. Yeah, he struck out two and a half to one, hit over 300 on base percentage, over 380. Uh, and when they brought him to the big leagues, he was 23 years old. And, 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 and whether he was ready for the big leagues or not, I don't know. But... He went up and down in 2022. He only got 160 at-bats last year with the Reds. He's got 120 this year. They've changed him positions. I think it's too early to throw in the towel on him. I think the big advantage for him is that he has changed positions in an area where the Reds are not loaded with all these prospects. What are your thoughts on Barrera? I do think Barrera has made some significant improvements this year. Uh, he looked about as bad as anyone last year when, when he got his chances yep. with the Reds. Um, and, and he definitely has made some strides. Now, is he where you want to be uh, for a guy that, that you were hoping maybe could be a potential starting shortstop? Uh, not not yet, but I, I definitely agree. It's, it's way too early to throw the talent on him. I think there's a good chance that at some point this year, I think Jose Barrow probably does get sent down for Ellie. And I think he goes to AAA, and I think they let him play shortstop every day for a while. But I think he's going to probably get another chance at some point this year. There's going to be injuries that happen. Um, there might be trades that happen. Um, and, and the fact that he can play center field, um, and I thought I think he's looked pretty decent out yes, there in center has. field, especially at, at Fenway Park, which is one of the more um, difficult. He had to come in for T.J. Friedel the other the other night on uh, – on Tuesday. Um, that's a really difficult center field to play. And I think he's done a, a solid job out there. So I think the ability to play center field, to play shortstop can give him more opportunities. Um, and, and I think there will be another chance for him later this year. And I hopefully if he does go down to AAA, he can just tear the cover off the ball and really have some it, it confidence coming up. Because last year, he didn't even do well in AAA. So when he came up, it was just kind of at, towards the, after the trade deadline, well, we got to give this guy a shot at this point, but he didn't really have anything going at that point. So you kind of hope that maybe he can start uh, uh, developing some confidence and come back and, and, and really just take off. Well, if they send him back down to AAA, which may indeed happen, you could be spot on there. I think they would be making a colossal mistake by putting him back at shortstop because if there is one thing that is agreed upon, uh, this franchise is overrun with talented middle infielders 
who could be moved to corner infielders. They are not overloaded with big-time prospects in the outfield, at least not at the higher levels that are going to make an impact in the next year or two. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'd send Barrero back down there and, and, and figure out how to play everywhere in the outfield because that's going to be his best shot if he has a legitimate shot to ever be a productive major league player. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Nick, I know you'll be back at it tonight right here on Chatterbox Sports. So we thank you, as always, for your time. Great to see you, my friend. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Nick Kirby, he's the best. I mean, they had Trace cracking open a beer the other night. Every Nick sh- was wondering <laughs> what's going on. When they win. Well, I know, but I mean, it was, it was cool the other night because all of a sudden Trace races back to the fridge oh, yeah. or whatever he's got going on down there. Yeah. Does Nick ever crack open a beer? He doesn't, does he? <laughs> I've never seen it. It's I haven't only seen Trace. it. Yeah. All right, Hammondeggers, time for a timeout. Okay, hold on a second. Oh, boy. Wait, I got to find. We might be on for nine hours. No, no, that's not true. All right, we're good. We're good. Here we go. Ham and Eggers, Mr. President. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. (laughs) Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right, Elliot, uh, you're up on the ads here. Oh, I'm up? You're up, man. So I just, well, I got it. So I'm going to, a little inside baseball. There's a glare on that ad. <laughs> so you're gonna have to roll through it. <laughs> roll right. with the punches. So the Bengals and Bearcats report. Pick one. Pick, what, 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 uh, we're talking. <laughs> we have Justin on today, so we're talking Bearcats. Okay. So it's a Bearcats report. Okay. So the Bearcats report yep. is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center. Supporting both centralized and work from home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore Tech. Visit Encore Tech. The path to innovation begins here. Everybody, that was horrible. That that's okay. Everybody's <laughs> everybody's screaming that they can't hear you, but they can hear me, and I have everything. I have everything set the same way. Oh no! Hold on. Everything's the same. Everything's the same. Oh wait, hold on. Try talking now. Testing. Testing. There we go. That sounds better. I think that might be better. Yeah. All right. Hey, do you want to read the uh, Encore.Tech ad again? Yeah, sure. All right. Let's roll through it again. Okay. So the Bearcats report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work from home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore Tech. The path to innovation begins here. I think the second one was a little bit better. It was still not good. So I'm going to grade it a 7 out of 10 because it's Encore.tech. Okay. So that's where people need to go to visit yeah. when they right. want to buy their Encore stuff. Yeah, and a little, okay. bit of, a little bit of another in some inside baseball here again. Uh, nobody has ever done more with less help than Paul right now. Paul has put on his Superman cape. Well, and I he's just playing hero ball. Okay, so so he's the, looking at me, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, well, so I, I'm wondering if your mic is like unplugged because everything is set up the way it should be. Like I know I know how the microphones are yeah. supposed to be set up, and everything's set up the right way. Okay, so I traced I, everything is set up the right way. So something might be unplugged. Mine, so that so that didn't get over the air there. Well, I don't know what's wrong. Everything's right. You can vaguely, you can vaguely hear him, but I think it's, it's coming probably, through your mic. We'll figure this out. Let's let's have fun. <laughs> it's right. All right, talking to your mic. Testing, 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 testing. 
Do we got me? People hear me and they don't hear him. Is it is is it plugged in? No, he should be fine. I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna have to we're gonna have to put a mic in the middle here. <laughs> we're good. We're good. I walked out of here. What the hell's going on? Well, I mean, for, seriously. I'm not trying to silence yourself. I'm not trying to silence Elliot, but for some reason, people couldn't hear him. Oh boy. <laughs> okay, so people hear me. So it's just not me. It might be that you need to be closer to it legitimately might be that you need to be closer to the mic. Okay. What about now? Okay, yeah, that that you want to try that? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so you were just too far away from the mic. Too far that's away fine. from the mic? That's fine. All okay. Right. All right. So I I thought I had it right. <laughs> Peebies Goes right. calls you to the Abbott right. and Costello <laughs> meeting Franklin's <laughs> show over there. Look, sometimes Tommy gotta have a little we're having some fun today. We're having some fun. Alright, no, we're good. It was just I thought I had it right. We're good. That's all. Everything we're all on the same I page. I like bacon says it's chaos. Okay, so hold on. We <laughs> Brian still got says Tom, you walked out, it fell apart. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hold on. Elliot's gotta tell us about Pawnee Water. Scroll back down. Oh, okay, all right. Come on, we Elliot. All Here right. we go. Ham so, and Egger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There is a new premium alkaline water out, Pawnee. And I have to tell you, this stuff tastes great. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses, <laughs> Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration. They've just pulled the plug on this sponsorship. <laughs> Unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use, the result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That's PawneeWater.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. I felt really good about that ad read. That, was that one was my best one. Everett said if there was ever an ad against sending your kids to college, that was it. <laughs> the pride of Elder High. That's We have sitting in here today, yes. I am the only <laughs> member of public education. There we, we go. We have all the elites in here today. We have uh, the East Coast liberal elite. That's right. BLP, <laughs> Elliot, Elder. West Side elite. Altiora. Elder High. And we have Jacob St. X Boo. elite. Boo. By the way, the Bombers yesterday, big win in lacrosse, advancing on to the state championship game, beating Upper Arlington uh, for the second time this year. That was an overtime win. So good for them. And, yes, my guys got beat. Uh, I can't remember who pointed it out, but they were following um, Twitter yesterday. Luke uh, played well. His teammates played well. It was a better team. Uh, they got beat in the he, state semis last night. It, it, it looked, uh, we were following along on Twitter. It looked like, I mean, every time the Marymont AD tweeted something, it was something about Brenneman. Yeah, Brenneman played pretty good last night. Uh, he's a gamer, man. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's a gamer. But there are a lot of gamers on that team, and it was a fun ride. And, and uh, I'm going to have him, of course, uh, coming up as I did my daughter on um, um, uh, a, a podcast and have him on uh, once he gets through his whole uh, graduation, final parties this coming weekend. And uh, we'll have him on one day next week. Kind of a recap of high school and looking to the future at Indiana University. 
Um, did you see the predictions made by Sports Illustrated? Yeah, where's Casey when we need him? Well, I mean, these guys are dialed in on the Bengals. No, I, kn I know, but I mean, on the positivity. To have this kind of a prediction and to not have Casey sitting here to react to it? It is hard to believe. Um, you know, if you didn't see it, in the bold predictions from Sports Illustrated about this upcoming football season, the Bengals are picked to not only play in the Super Bowl, they are picked to win the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow will throw 40 or more touchdowns this year and be the league's most valuable player. Jamar Chase named the NFL's Offensive Player of the Year. Those are two different awards. Elliot, thoughts, if any, on those predictions by Sports Illustrated? I think they're pretty accurate. I think they're pretty accurate. Back-to-back -back AFC Championship game appearances. Bengals just signed uh, the Chiefs' best offensive lineman, I'd argue. So... I, I would say that's a pretty good argument. Yeah, so I, I, I like our chances. I think we certainly have a better wide receiver core than them. Oh, no doubt and, about and it. But Kansas they had a better Chiefs. wide receiver core than them last year. And that's, the, and that's, I would say, the only argument. Patrick Mahomes, he needs a little bit more help. we got an aging Travis Kelsey. Still the best tight end in the league, obviously. But I, I, I like the Bengals to win. I like the Bengals to win the AFC Championship, head back to the Super Bowl. BLP? Look, I'm not going to argue with that. It's just nice to – what what would we be sitting? I feel Jacob, like Jacob, get over there and sit down. We'll get your thoughts on. I this. feel like I should. I feel like I should put the hat on and say say what Casey would be thinking here. It's just nice to. It's just nice to be getting some respect around the league, Tom. Would you rather be the underdog though? Would you rather be the favorite or the underdog? I think at this point you'd rather be the favorite. Yeah. I think at this point now, after the Bengals have shown what they've shown over the last couple of seasons, I think you'd rather be the favorite. But you see what happened with the Broncos. They were awarding how they were like 15 primetime games. They scored a total of four points in those 15 <laughs> games. So I, I, you know, a little bit less of the the primetime games for us. I like being an underdog. I love it. But obviously we're not. So hey, uh, just have to settle being the best. Elliot, we need your take here. Are the Bengals worse or better than the end of the season? Are oh. they better right now than they were at the end of the season? Oh yeah, they're better. They're that's, much better. That's the right answer. They're much better. Tom, do you? I'm not sure about that, but 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 I mean, we're going to find out. I think there are definite questions, as we've talked about. Nobody can make me believe they're better at safety, because they're not. They're definitely not better at safety. Now, will these other guys have the potential to be great players back there or really good players back there? I think we all agree they have that possibility. Uh, I don't. The, the the jury's out. You know, we'll see what happens with this number one pick. They need a better pass rush. So at least having Murphy there potentially, Osai another year, Carter another year, et cetera, potentially they could be better there. I think they're more athletic at tight end, but Hurst was more dependable at tight end. Stayed healthy by and large. Um, and look, skill position players, uh, they did a great job in the draft. But you got to wait and see how it plays out. Now, you go to all the games when you're in town, right, Jacob? All right, so what do you think? You like those predictions, or, or, or you think, man, that's a lot? I like the predictions a lot. Um, I obviously have bets out and the Bengals to win the Super Bowl, Joe Burrow to win the MVP, all that stuff. So it would be nice to have all those, all those cash. I like the predictions. But I, I would push back a little bit on the Bengals being 
definitively better this year. I agree with you. Safety's a big position. We're going to have a ro- effectively a rookie in Dax Hill, who didn't really play last year. Jordan Battle is maybe has more experience than Dax. He played three years as a starter at Alabama. He, I think he's going to be able to plug and play very well in that Von Bell role. But, but I do have questions about, about safety and corner. We're going to have to walk rookie corners out there. Is Chidobia Wuzier going to be 100% week one? Eli Apple's gone. You know, say what you will about him, but he's, he's been a starter on this team. No he's doubt. Playing decent football. So, I don't know. I do have some worries about our back Jacob, end. Jacob, pull the microphone a little closer to you. My bad. Yeah, you're good. Um, I do have some questions about our back end and Irv Smith's availability at tight end, but we addressed the O-line. We addressed the pass rush. I'm happy with our offseason. I think we're going to be good. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Jacob is the uh, video guy for Alabama football. He's still a student down there. And so, you know, he's at every practice. He goes to every game for the Crimson Tide. So, battle. Good dude. Gamer. Oh, you like absolutely. Him? Absolutely. One of the best. In, first one in, last one out kind of guy. Always in the film room. Coaches didn't have anything but great things to say about him. They all know that I'm a big Bengals fan. So, the day after the draft when we were in the facility, they were like, oh, you got Jordan. Like, good, good looks for you guys. Love to see that. So, very exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for him. He's my favorite pick out of the whole draft class. Nice. All right. There you go. Sweet home Alabama. Uh, we're getting some uh, solid feedback on you guys. I mean, it's, you know, shaky group, but <laughs> hanging in there. I mean, hanging in there. Um, you know, look, this is, if you want to, this is one of the things that, and I know we talk about Tom Brady all the time, but th- this is what you want when you're building a powerhouse team and franchise, you want the expectations there. They're already the expectations in the facility down there. All right? I mean, the Bengals players aren't walking around shying away from uh, being predicted to win a Super Bowl, being predicted to be an MVP, being predicted to be an offensive player of the year. Those are goals Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, the entire team have. And they are realistic goals. Now, to execute them, we know is very, very tough. And that's why when you see teams and a sustained um, uh, length of, of, of extraordinary excellence by what New England did, right? I mean, that's what you want the Bengals to become. Is that realistic? I don't know if it is in today's uh, NFL. I don't know. But, you know, that's why I don't get wrapped up in the whole Burroughs the next Brady, Mahomes the next Brady. I mean, Mahomes is, is certainly on that kind of trajectory at this point, right? He's already played in three Super Bowls and won two. But you got, I mean, just getting there is so hard. And, and for what um, New England was able to do for so long, and even when Brady took his act down there to Tampa Bay and won a Super Bowl, uh, but this is what the Bengals want. They, they want people looking at them like that is the team to beat. And if we're going to get to a Super Bowl in the AFC, that's a team sooner or later we're going to have to beat. Um, I think it's really exciting for the franchise. I can never remember in all my years growing up, and I could be wrong. But, uh, and and I, I'm old enough to remember I was a senior in high school when Kenny Anderson and that bunch went to the Super Bowl. And then years later, when Boomer and that bunch uh, went to the Super Bowl, I was working at Channel 5. I never remember any expectations for the Bengals the following year off of a Super Bowl. 
which they didn't get there last year. But I, I never remember uh, the expectations to be for any franchise in this town, Reds included. I don't ever remember the expectations like the Bengals have right now. Elliot, you're a Cincinnati guy. You agree with that? No, I absolutely agree with that. We, we are at our an all-time high of expectations for the Cincinnati Bengals and Cincinnati sports in general. Why? I don't, I don't, think, I don't think anybody has ever been uh, – well, also, we haven't, we haven't seen this level of success in so long here. 19, what, 1990 was the last real chance. So, yep. I, you know, I, I, as much as the pressure is on the Bengals, I think, it's, I think it's appropriate. I think it's appropriate, and the town loves it. The town loves the pressure. Town loves it. Spot on. Uh, you know, the big red machine, everybody and his brother. I mean, anybody could have picked them uh, after winning in 75 to say, oh, I like their chances in 76. But a lot of people really like their chances in 77 after they swept the Yankees in a four-game series. And, of course, that group, as we know them, the big red machine, never went to another World Series. So you just don't know. So when you get that chance... You know, you've got to do it. I mean, I was there every day like many of you watching that 2012 Reds team. They were the best team in the National League. The best team. Now, in that series against the Giants, game one, Cueto gets hurt. So now it, it, it messes up the whole rotation, the way you've got it all set up with Latos and Arroyo and everybody coming in and trying to fill holes and Mike Leak and, you know, I mean, there was a lot going on there. But the bottom line was, even when Cueto got hurt in game one, they won the first two games of the series. They had not lost three games in a row all year long at home. So in a best of five, they're coming back home up two games to none. All you got to do is win one. We know what happened. They got their chance. And for the Bengals, they got that first taste of it in the Super Bowl two years ago. They got their chance. Couldn't quite get it. Last year, having to go on the road to Kansas City, AFC Championship game, couldn't quite get there. And you could get into any number of reasons. But now is the time for this team if they're going to do it. Now is the time. Uh, Justin Williams, or Jason Williams. Justin. Justin. I get Jason as a columnist at Cincinnati.com. I got Justin Williams from the – uh, the athletic site. coming up here shortly to talk a little bit about UC. And, uh, you know, the more and more you read, and, you know, we'll get his expertise here in a matter of moments. The more and more you read about what's going on there with the basketball program and the football program. And I know a lot of us, me included, uh, are easy to say, well, they're going in the Big 12. They're going to struggle in everything for a little while compared especially to playing in the American Athletic Conference. But, you know, look, another thing, the, the, these are now incremental steps. And I'm going to ask Justin about, I don't think people realized, and there were a lot of people around here, many of you on the chat, many of you watching right now, that were all over Wes Miller's ass last year. A lot of people. When you go back and look at the mess he has had to try and clean up around that basketball program and athletic department, really since Mick Cronin walked out the door, right? But, I mean, you know, John Brandon 
you know, God bless him. Uh, as a guy, I really like the guy. I don't know all the ins and outs and what happened down there and all that kind of thing. But obviously, it did not turn out well. Uh, the AD leaves. New guy comes in. Um, and, and Miller's trying to pick up all the pieces. And to now see kind of where they're going. And remember, they gave him a contract extension last year. Just compare that for a second, if you will, to um, Sean Miller over at Xavier. Now, when Sean Miller took over this program the first time, I mean, the foundation had been laid coach after coach after coach. Xavier never missed on a coach. They never missed. It was unbelievable. I would argue better than any college basketball program in the history of the NCAA. And I really mean that. They never – and I'm not talking about some guy that stayed for 21 years and won five national championships. I'm talking about coaches come in to Xavier, they hang around a while, bang, off they go. Ohio State, wherever it is they're going, right? Uh, all those coaches build up that foundation for Sean to take over the first time a really rock-solid program with good players. And winning, sustained winning and success. He kept that tradition alive. Off he goes to Arizona. No one could ever blame him for that. Uh, in Arizona, he walks into a situation, one of the top seven, eight basketball programs in the country. And again, they were a little down. But he, you know, really took him to higher heights. Never won the whole thing. Uh, but then he comes back to Xavier. Now, the Travis Steele era, not meeting Xavier fans' expectations, clearly. But they had some nice pieces. He brings in some guys here and there. All of a sudden, they're back in the tournament, and, and he's got it rolling down there. But this situation with um, Wes Miller, uh, and, and, and a pleasure to be joined by Justin Williams from The Athletic. Justin, good morning. Thanks for your time today. How's everything with you? I'm good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing good. Why can't I hear him? You can hear him now. I can hear him now. All right, Justin, thanks so much for the time. We were just talking, Justin, about um, – I, I love the article you wrote a couple days ago in The Athletic that this is now Wes Miller's team. Um, hadn't been easy getting there, has it, in just uh, two-plus years? Yeah, I mean, they're – you know, he obviously inherited a, a pretty difficult situation when he was hired in, in the wake of John Brandon's firing. And there is – this is his technically third off season, his second full off season, But there's only one player now on the roster that he didn't recruit. Uh, that, that's Victor Locken. Everyone else, every other scholarship player on this roster are players that he brought in, whether high school prospects or, or transfers. And so I think they finally reached a point – especially this past offseason with some really talented, impressive transfers, at least on paper. And so when you look at kind of the roster, I think it fits exactly what he wants to do in terms of the players he's picked uh, and kind of the versatility and some of the talent he's added. I, I think it's um, it shows some of the good things he's done as a coach, but it's also elevated the expectations for, for him entering, entering his third season and entering the Big 12. All right, well, I want to ask you a couple of questions about him and, and this whole thing in particular. Um, when, when you're starting to look at the kind of players he's bringing in, whether it be high school, and that sustains a program over the long haul, or now the advent of the transfer portal where you get guys in, the, the Utah Valley big guy, so on and so forth. 
From a style of play standpoint, and I don't think it would be fair to say we've seen really what a Wes Miller team might look like because you point out they weren't his guys. But based on what you're seeing, what what style of play do you think we, we will see as time goes by from Wes Miller? Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, when he came over from UNC Greensboro, he had been kind of a full court pressing defensive mindset coach. And, and that was a big part of his identity was press, create turnovers, and kind of your offense flows from your defense. They haven't really been able to play the style of defense that he's wanted to since since he came in his first two seasons. And honestly, I don't know that the roster he has now lends itself to that pressing, you know, up full court tempo type of style, at least defensively. It kind of felt that way with some of the recruits he was bringing in, Jizzle James, Rayvon Griffith. Um, but then some of the transfer portal additions they've made, I don't know that that will necessarily be their strong suit, certainly for, for every lineup. But I think what you have seen him do is bring in versatility. So, you know, maybe C.J. Frederick and Simus Lukosius, you know, two transfers they brought in this offseason, really talented offensive players, maybe not, you know, the best perimeter defenders. But then you bring in Aziz Bandego, the, the Utah Valley, you know, seven-footer that you reference, who's just a complete, you know, eraser at the rim. Great shot blocker, great uh, rim protector, great defensive presence in the paint. And so I think you saw him address, all right, so maybe – Perimeter defense won't be our strong suit with certain lineups, but we're going to have a guy in the middle who is going to make it absolutely difficult if you do get into the paint uh, to, to score and get easy buckets. And so I'm kind of curious to see, you know, does he try to finally get into that pressing defense in, in, in year three, or does he realize even with this lineup that I've picked, that might not be the strong suit. So we're going to shift that a little bit. Offensively, he's always been, you know, kind of a get out and run when you can, um, a long leash, right? I think Cincinnati fans remember how maybe a, much of a short leash Mick Cronin had offensively with players. If you take a bad shot or you have a turnover, they're walking over to the bench before Mick even grabs the substitute to come in. That's not the way Wes operates offensively. He gives players a longer leash offensively to, you know, take quick shots or maybe make some mistakes as long as they're putting in the effort on the defensive end. And I think that'll be the biggest thing, whether they're pressing or however they play, he has the players in place that he's picked and that he wants. And so I think he's going to need to see that effort um, and that play on the defensive end to, to allow them to continue to kind of have that longer leash offensively. See, to me, uh, you, you know, and, and, and look, both my folks went to the University of North Carolina. My sister and I were born down there. We used to go to North Carolina basketball games a lot as a kid. To me, uh, I look at his roster. I'm with you compared to the UNC Wilmington thing, uh, but – but to me, his roster looks a lot like the, the, the Dean Smith, Roy Williams kind of style of play where, you know, you, you, you've got really good guards, uh, very athletic. You've got potentially, especially in some of these younger players, scorers. But then you've got some big guys that can do a lot of things. You wouldn't ask him to be, obviously, at the midcourt in a full-court press, but they're at the back end back there, and they can block a shot if a team gets a two-on-one, three-on-one. Uh, to me, they resemble, at least right now, they're not there yet, and I'm not comparing them to any North Carolina teams. But, but wouldn't it just be natural to assume his heritage and playing basketball at Carolina and, and, and coaching under Roy, that that's probably where they're going to go? Or do you think that he's a little bit different in that regard? 
I think he has his own spin on it, but you're right. You know, they have some talented big guys this season, even offensively. And so, you know, historically, Dean Smith, Roy Williams, they've loved to to play through the post. Now, basketball is a different, you know, game, even than Wes Miller was playing at North Carolina uh, under Roy Williams, kind of the Sean May type of guy he played with. You know, it's it's more prevalent in college than it is in the NBA, but it's still changed, you know, a lot with the, you know, kind of the three-point shooting and and guard-dominated offenses. But that's something that I think they have the capability of doing that secondary break which was so famous you know under uh dean smith and roy williams in north carolina that's a big part of you know west miller's transition offense having that trailing big guy and you know passing it back and moving into the flow offense so so all of those pieces you're right are, are definitely part of that the other thing that's interesting though is we still don't have some answers on this roster. There's still some guys, you know, the, the Utah Valley, Aziz Vandego, will he get a waiver to play immediately? Same thing with Jamil Reynolds, another big from Temple. Uh, so there are still some questions that this roster has to answer, even before we get into the season in terms of who's available, what kind of lineups will they have. And so I, I think he's going to have some work to do in terms of who does he have at his disposal and then what's the best way to highlight them. So, Justin, help me with this for a second because, I mean, this college basketball, college sports uh, world has gotten so weird with the transfer portal and you don't have to sit out a year and, you know, uh, players getting paid and NIL and everything. Uh, the team is back. You made reference that the, the basketball team is back to begin summer workouts. Are the guys that have not been given that official sign-off, are they not allowed to be here right now? They are, and they're allowed to practice, but they don't know yet whether they have that waiver for immediate eligibility to actually play this season. So the way it's been done in the past is those waivers can – you know, be unsettled up until like October, honestly. And, you know, that can be because the NCAA gives a decision and then they can, um, you know, argue that decision and, and kind of come, go back and forth and try and get a player cleared. We're talking specifically about, I think, only two players, Aziz and Jamil Reynolds, because they are undergraduates who have made a second transfer. So a kid like C.J. Frederick, local kid, he's played at Iowa, he's played at Kentucky, but he's a graduate transfer coming into Cincinnati. So he, he can play right away, even though he's had multiple transfers. But yeah, these other players, the NCAA has, has made it clear they don't want to give waivers for second transfers for undergraduate players, even if they're you know making arguments about it, it being best for their mental health. Now, I'm curious to see how, how much does the NCAA stick to that? Are they going to be willing to deny every single second transfer who's saying maybe that his mental health factored into in the move? Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see that. But for Cincinnati, there's at least two players who are definitely going to be interested to see if they can get that second waiver. And if they do, it's going to have a huge impact on their team. And obviously, if they don't, it'll have kind of a, a different impact, right? Because it, it limits the rotation. It limits the, the players that you have available. And even though they can practice and be with the team all season, they can't step out on the floor. So in addition to the, the new the new you know transfer portal ads that have come in this offseason for the next couple of months, one of the storylines is going to be, do those two big guys get the immediate waiver for eligibility? All right, let's get to the immediate sport that will be played, at least one that gets the most attention around there, and that's football. Um, uh, Again, much like the basketball team, good recruiting classes since uh, Satterfield steps in the building, right? Uh, Very good success in the transfer portal, goes through the spring. What are your thoughts about what the state of the program is, for lack of a better term, ever since Luke Fickle has left? 
Yeah, it's it's definitely different. I mean, we're talking less than 18 months ago, this team was playing in the college football playoff against Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. And, you know, at that point, there was a pretty good – they knew they were going to the Big 12. There's a pretty good idea it was going to happen this season. And if you're asking Cincinnati fans then, what's your expectation going into the Big 12? It's compete right away and, and win championships. That's shifted a little bit with Fickle leaving um, and some of the coaching transition and, and roster overhaul. I think to call it a rebuild is unfair, but there's definitely kind of a reset going on with football because of the coaching change. This is the only team in the Big 12 this season that underwent a head coaching change this offseason. And there's a lot of transition and adjustments that come with that. Uh, I, I think the hope now, maybe right away, isn't competing for Big 12 championships, but it's more can this team go out and be competitive you know, week in and week out and, and maybe get to bowl eligibility this first season. Uh, the schedule does set up pretty nicely for them. I, I think the concern, just looking at spring football, looking at the roster, is in most spots, this, this is a power conference Big 12 team, uh, you know, up and down the depth chart on that first line, the, the starters. I think you have power conference starters, especially on defense, uh, which I think could be really good. The, the concern for me and maybe the biggest question for me is if guys get hurt, if you have to go into that second and third string defense, offense, especially, you know, offensive line, do you have players that can compete at that power five level? Maybe they're not ready yet. Maybe they just need a couple years. They're young guys. But I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for a team that in the American Athletic Conference was almost always more talented, more experienced than the teams they were going up against. That's not going to be the case anymore. And so do they have the, the depth and, and the backups to compete when the first line guys get, get hurt? And I think that will be something they can develop over the next couple of years. But in year one, especially after the coaching transition, I, I think can be really tough. I got to be honest with you, Justin. You know, I mean, I hear a lot of talk about Big 12, and we know about basketball, but, you know, Big 12 football. I have a daughter that's in college down at TCU, and they had the miracle run last year. They get to the national championship. So I, the last couple of years, I've watched a lot of Big 12 football, uh, and especially TCU. And, you know, I also watch a lot of UC football. Now, you know, when you're trying to evaluate UC football and the American Athletic Conference, you know, it may, maybe it's, it's very difficult to do, and I'm no expert on anything. Just ask my wife. I'm not an expert on any single thing in life in the world, except being a jerk. But, um, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, Big 12 football is good. I, I don't know if maybe some of us are are saying that it's too good. I mean, let's be honest about it. Nobody from a million miles away saw TCU coming to play in the Final Four, just like you see the season before. There are good teams in the, T in the Big 12. There's no doubt. And traditionally speaking, especially Oklahoma, not so much Texas. I mean, they, they find a way to lay an egg all the time. But, I mean, there, there are some other schools, a majority of schools in that league I'm not so sure at the end of the day that, that, that UC could be that far behind. You agree with that? Definitely. I think if you're looking at, you know, teams like Kansas and Iowa State that, you know, Kansas had a good year last year, but, you know, I think this is a team that Cincinnati certainly has been better than the past few years and could be just as good as this season. And, you know, a team like Oklahoma State, which has consistently been really good in the Big 12, you look at how they finished the year last year, they, they kind of fell apart. They've had a bunch of talent leave via the transfer portal. So I don't think Cincinnati is going to go in and 
be overmatched in a ton of games. I'm, you know, I'm really curious that opening game against Oklahoma in Nippert Stadium to kick off the Big 12. How do they match up? How do they look? I think the bigger problem for Cincinnati is how do they respond playing a higher caliber team week after week? Yeah. Because even the past couple of years when they went to the, the Peach Bowl and the Cotton Bowl, they would have games against South Florida, Navy, Tulsa, you know, teams like that where they didn't play their best, but because they were more talented and more experienced, they were able to pull out a win in the end. That's not going to happen against Kansas and, and Iowa State and Baylor and teams like that. If you don't play very well, you're probably not going to win, especially, you know, the first couple of years they're in the Big 12. So I don't think they're going to go in and, and be this overmatched program, but I do think the the grind of a tougher conference schedule week in and week out is going to be a, a different beast for them. It might take a year or two to get used to. I want to ask you, uh, lastly, uh, and thank you for your time today. I want to ask you, uh, lastly, about this extended piece that you wrote about the former uh, athletic director at UC, uh, most recently the athletic director at USC, where he just stepped down and Mike Bone. Um, and, and, and for those that want to read it, it, it is an unbelievable uh, 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 story uh, and about some of the things that Bone has done or not done at USC, things he did or didn't do at UC. You know, after I finished reading this, I got to be honest with you, Justin, I, I said to myself, the, the, the biggest takeaway that I came from that is, who in the hell are the people that are making the decisions to hire the guy or keep the guy. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to go find, you know, things that, that, that people do well or don't do well. I think all of us have those things, and he proved that in a lot of ways he did some very important things not very well. He did some other things very, very well. But at the end of the day, I mean, did you find yourself asking the question, and you, you, you acknowledged it in the SC uh, more of a search engine kind of a place, and they couldn't dig into maybe some of the stuff that was going on that you see because they didn't want anybody to know that they were thinking about hiring him. But 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 I just walked away and I thought to myself, you see, USC, who is overseeing this mess? I, I think you're right. I think part of the piece, and not specific to Mike Bone, is the the hiring process, search firm process in college athletics, whether that's athletic directors or, you know, coaches, honestly. It, it's not quite as quick with athletic directors, but you look at these, you know, major coaching hires that are made in college football and basketball, a coach leaves and within, what, 48 hours, 72 hours sometimes, they're hiring their replacement for them. Is that really enough time to kind of do the, the digging that you need for these multi-million dollar major decisions? And, you know, with athletic director, you're right. This is someone who, if you asked around at Cincinnati, you know, and it came up in our reporting, whether it was someone that was a supporter, you know, of Mike Bone or whether it was someone that was a detractor, I think there was pretty much universal surprise when he got the job at USC just because of the type of personality he had and, and you know, maybe some of the way people knew that he interacted and maybe that could have been a better fit at Cincinnati or Colorado than it was at a place like USC, which is, you know, a fishbowl, a little bit more of a progressive university. But when you really, when we really dug in, and I wrote this with Bruce Feldman and, and Nicole Auerbach, I think the biggest thing that came out of it was this was a person who was under investigation at Cincinnati at the time that he left. And whether USC knew about that or not, they probably didn't. 
because like you said, it was an ongoing in investigation. They couldn't dig in as much as they probably wanted to because you're trying not to raise alarm bells about candidates and things like that. But there were clearly issues that he had at Cincinnati that had bubbled up even before he went to USC. And so when these these similar issues happen at USC within the past three years, well, sure, it all makes a ton of sense when you're looking back and seeing he was under investigation for some similar things at Cincinnati. And so I think that's and then, you know, a criticism that could be levied at USC, a criticism that could be levied uh, against the search firm, a criticism that could be levied against Cincinnati. But the biggest takeaway from all of that is we're probably not doing the due diligence we need to with these major decisions when hiring people. Last thing I want to ask you about. In The Athletic today, it was a very interesting story about the transfer portal and tampering. I don't know if you had a chance to read it yet this morning. Mm -hmm. um, Boy, you know, in, in this whole madness of college sports, NIL, all these other sorts of things, and the story basically in a nutshell started with the University of South Carolina last year is ranked at the end of the season in the top 25 for the first time since Steve Spurrier was there, right? And they had a good year. And their leading rusher, their second leading rusher, their leading tackler uh, for loss, and their leading sacker, after meeting with a head coach at South Carolina, within two or three days, coach doesn't see this coming, within two or three days, all four of those guys enter the portal. And within two or three days after that, every single one of them has announced where they're going to school. Are you starting to hear that, that, that this could become a major issue if it's not a major issue already in college sports? Yeah, it's, it's a major issue already, and it happens across the board. It's one of those things where it's hard for certain coaches or schools to, to point the finger because, sure, they probably have experienced this where, you know, they've had players who have been tampered with. But there's also a good chance that maybe they're doing the same thing and, and trying to turn around and, and pull players from, from other teams. I you know I've heard stories, I think it's pretty widespread now that, you know, team recruiting scouting departments look at tape of, you know, players that aren't even in the portal. And if they feel like they really like them and they have a chance or a connection to get them, that then you kind of go through those back channels of it's a, an NIL agent or a high school coach or something like that. So this has now kind of become um, a widespread known issue within college sports. And I don't know that there's a way to change it. I think the changes they've made to the transfer portal, there's a lot of positives to that. But one of the negatives is you can kind of convince a kid, whether it's with NIL money or opportunity, who's not in the transfer portal to jump in and then come join this program. Again, through, you know, through, through some back channels in ways that aren't obvious. Um, I don't know that there's a way to put that toothpaste back in the tube at this point. I think it's just something that programs are going to have to adjust and deal with. And very well could have been things that programs were kind of doing even more clandestine and under the table before the transfer portal and NIL and all this stuff happened. But it's absolutely something that, whether it's a group of five program or kind of just that lower second tier power five program, uh, it's something they're going to have to deal with. If you identify and evaluate and develop the right players and they play really well for you, there's a very good chance that they're going to be looking to, to go somewhere else in the transfer portal and in the off season. And uh, unless some big sweeping change is made, I don't necessarily see a, a way to stop that moving forward. Justin, can't thank you enough for your time this morning. Uh, thank you so very, very much for your expertise. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
All right, Justin Williams from The Athletic. We talk about The Athletic all the time. I'm a paid subscriber. But if you're into sports, uh, man, they, they got it all covered. And, and that article that, that we were just uh, wrapping up talking about was in The Athletic this morning. And as the SEC coaches are meeting, uh, I think in Florida, Jacksonville, I think is where they are. They're having those meetings. Uh, anyway, they, you know, this was a topic that came up because of the South Carolina coach. A lot of other, um, you know, schools out there want to swoop up some of these SEC guys that, that aren't necessarily uh, getting a lot of playing time there. And maybe could you help fill in the blank? Um, and, and, and the article pointed out that the only coach that has actually called somebody out by name on this stuff is uh, Pat Narduzzi down at, uh, up at Pitt. He had his wide receiver, Jordan Addison. Great player, right? All of a sudden, out the door, he goes to USC. And he calls out Lincoln Riley by name. Narduzzi was asked yesterday, do you regret naming Lincoln Riley in public? His answer, hell no. But until you can prove it, and they talked about, you know, some of the things that go on, you know, sort of through the channels as uh, Justin alluded to. You know, one of them they talked about how you can't maybe contact, well, you can't for sure contact the kid directly. But what you can do is, or what has happened, is if you were recruiting him originally, or even if you weren't, you might call his high school coach. And you might say, hey, how's uh, Tom Brenneman like it down there at the uh, University of Florida? They didn't get a lot of playing time last year. Or, you know, they just brought in this guy and this guy, and, you know, they might get a chance to play ahead of him. What do you think? High school coach maybe stays in touch with the player, says, hey, you know, just talk to Joe Blow from Blank University. They were asking about you. Oh, okay. Well, now all of a sudden the kid is starting to think of, instead of, boy, you know, I'm going to go out and compete for this job at, Florida, Alabama, Ohio State, wherever. Um, all of a sudden, they're like, man, looks pretty good out there at SC. Sunshine, pretty girls, got it going on. Lincoln <laughs> Riley slinging it around. Right? That's right. If you were in the portal tomorrow and go play football anywhere, where would you go? Does Pepperdine have a football team? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so, but I'd go there too. Yeah. That place is phenomenal. Yeah. Dorms on the beach. I'll take Pepperdine. Let's create a Come football on. team there. Come on. Where would you go? Go to play football tomorrow? Tomorrow. I mean, I don't know if I'd go to USC. If I was really good, I'd probably go to Alabama. All right. Miami. I think, that, I think they'd pay me more. Ooh. <laughs> Everett says Oregon. Everett, are you kidding me? Oregon? Jacob! Where would you go? He'd go to Ohio State. 
You better not let Nick. I know Nick Saban watches your show from time to time. <laughs> um, Sir Boy Wonder, naturally, Ohio State. Drew Garrison, Michigan, not a chance. Not a chance. Alex Wallace, give me a break. Everett says, have you seen the athletes at Oregon? Yeah, I see them get their ass kicked every time they play somebody good. UConn. Big 12. Of course, this would vary on the sport. What? No, no it would vary on the sport. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But we were talking football in this case. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of good, good places out there. A lot of good places. Kent State, says the former player. The player formerly known as Mouse Cop. The, the, Kent State, what are they, the Golden Flashes? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I remember them from my Mid-American Conference days. That's where Sean Casey's son is a big star. Yeah. Are they in the uh, NCAA tournament? Uh, I don't know who the max auto bid was. Reed would know. I I, Ball State, isn't it? Was, it? Yeah, it was Ball State. You're right. Yeah. It was Ball State. You're right. Ball State. Ball State got the, got the Mac auto bid. Yep. Ohio, you must have been under suspension or something for them not to have won that. Likely. <laughs> okay. Evan Maurer says Louisville. Oh, Louisville. Man, Louisville. Tom, do you have a favorite college that you broadcasted from? You mean a venue? Venue, yes. Hmm. Um, trying to think. I tell you, one of the one of the coolest games I ever did. Look, I've done games Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, not 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 and not outside of that because I was only doing the Big Ten Network for the first couple of years. But I tell you, what what what, what is a really cool place is uh, is Iowa. That is a really cool place to watch a game. They've got the hospital right there, right? The That's children's the, hospital, yep. and during the game, all the fans and the players acknowledge the kids who are looking through their hospital room windows. It, it, it's the single most beautiful tradition of uh, uh, anywhere in college sports. It, 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 it brings tears to your eyes. But, I mean, they, they love their football up there. And, look, they've had, they, they've had a great run of success for a long, long time. Uh, Hayden Fry. Took them to a bunch of Rose Bowls, top five, top ten. You know, Farron's has kind of been up and down. But, I mean, it's the only game in town up there. And, and it's a great stadium, uh, really nice campus. I mean, look, if you want to be overwhelmed with 115, 120,000 fans, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, I wish I had a chance to do a game at Penn State in that conference because I hear that's lights out. Yeah. Never been there. You got a favorite? You've been to a bunch of them or not? I, I haven't been to a ton of college football. Uh, I, 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 so I went to the University of Toledo first. We were talking about that yesterday a little bit. Glass Bowl. I love the Glass Bowl at Toledo. Yep. Uh, obviously, Nippert's phenomenal. I'm trying to think. What about I, – I haven't been here, but I, whenever I play uh, – what's, what's, the, what's the video game? NCAA football? Yeah. So I, all, I would always play at Boise. I just love the blue field. Ah. I would always play at Boise. Is now, it, I have been there before. Yeah, you called, you called an iconic game there, right? Uh, well, it wasn't there. Uh, I went there when they were practicing to get ready for that Fiesta Bowl that yes. they, they won against Oklahoma in Phoenix. But I actually went to that stadium. Uh, it's pretty cool. Is it true that birds will dive down thinking it's water? That's what I'm told. Okay. And uh, is, is there a bird guy? Is there a bird guy that cleans I the birds? I think they do something. They, 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 um, 
I think they have something that they send. I don't know if it's a signal or some kind of a sound. I, I don't know what it is that they try to come up with to prevent that from happening. Yes. I think. I think. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh is never good. <laughs> you know who would know the answer to that question about, you know, sending out, um, you know, in his case, there's no telling if he had to send out some kind of a signal to prevent something or somebody <laughs> from coming into his life on a regular basis. It would be our main man, Tracy Jones. Tracy, back in the old days, you know, your single days, did you have to wear some kind of device maybe on the hat, uh, whether during a game or like you, you wear a hat backwards regularly now? To keep some of the, you know, in your single days, single women, you know, kind of at bay Ooh. so you could focus on doing things? I'll tell you what I used to do, and I started this in the minor leagues. I used to do something what was called fanscaping. And I would go and look into the stands, and I would move all the good-looking girls right down to the front row. So after the game, I could kind of pick and choose which one I kind of wanted to maybe go out to dinner with or do some other things. But yeah, that's called fanscaping. I've done it for years just to make sure, because you don't want some slump buster or three-legged hyena trying to, you know, get your attention. You've got to kind of pick and choose a little bit and you do it through fanscaping. And then of course, if you really want to pick up ball players, body language is really important. When you go to a ball game, you got to, even if you're in the stands, you got to give the players a thumbs up. They really appreciate that. They know you're into the ball game when you're giving the players the thumbs up. Try it. Give it to, uh, give it to McLean next time you see him in a homestand. They'll really, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Fanscaping. Oh, that's it. Fanscaping. You learn something new every day. Um, yes. You sent me a text, which I did not get till this morning, about uh, you've got a few things on your mind here today. By all Here's means, the stage is yours, Tracy Jones. I came prepared today. I know sometimes I'm slacking, but I actually brought something. Is Reed there? Is Reed, uh, there? Reed is not here. We have, uh, let me introduce you to a yeah, couple yeah, new please. members of the Ham and Eggers. You know, uh, you know Pauly. Say yes. hello to Elliot and to Jacob. So Jacob awesome. is in, interning with us. Uh, Elliot Rearing is, is in here with us. He's a West Side guy. Uh, you know, Tracy, you and I are public education guys, right, in yeah. high school. All three of these guys I'm in the room with are, 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 are private school elites. Ooh. But please, I'll let you judge them for yourself. You know, Elliot, you look like what I like to refer to as a dork. So let me throw this. <laughs> Do people know I'm just kidding with these guys? I mean, I just, that one I'm really not, though. Um, here, you guys, you guys do, I, I know Elliot will know this. Are you guys familiar with AI, right? Artificial intelligence. Yes? No? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Are you familiar with chat GPT? Are you familiar with that? Kind of. Okay, kind of. Explain this because this is over your head, but I'm going to break it down for you people. God, you nerd. Elliot, you should have been all over this. I would think you'd know this. <laughs> that GPT is a bot that writes its own replies and stories. It's very cool. I have a monthly subscription to it. Uh, it's $20 a month. It's very cool, Tom, and I think it'd be great for the show. The question I asked. 
ChatGPT was, and you'll like this question, who are the 10 best Reds hitters in the last 25 years? Okay, think about that. Last 25 years, the best Reds hitters. You ready for the list? Yep. You into it? All right. Number one, I think we could agree Joey Votto. Yep. Does anybody want to take a guess at number two? Number two, I'll say, was Sean Casey. He's in there, but not number two. Adam Dunn. Interesting right there. This is AI. Okay, now, 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 this is clearly being based off analytical data, correct? For sure. For okay. sure. But wait, it and gets that's worse. how it was described as best Reds hitter? That was the hitter? question I posed. I posed that question to chat GPT. I posed a question and then they answered for me like in three seconds. You should cancel that subscription right away. Well, wait, Adam gets... Dunn, number two. Okay. I mean, come on. Go ahead. Come on, Go ahead. Tom. Tom, look at his stats, though, man. I've looked at his stats and I watched him play. Give me so, a break. Number if you had three. to have, let me ask you a question. Where is yeah. Sean? Go go with the list first, and we'll circle back to this in a All minute. right. Go ahead. Number three, Ken Griffey Jr. Still had good stats. Number four, Jay Bruce. Oh, my God. That, Tom, you can't argue with AI. There's no argument. Do you think you're smarter than <laughs> AI? You're not. Okay, where am I? Number Number five, Brandon Phillips. Number six, your boy, Sean Casey. Number seven, Barry Larkin. Okay, now here it gets a little, here's a little shaky, Tom. I'll give, I'll give you this. Number, number eight, Scotty Rowland. Number nine, Eugenio Suarez. Had some good years, right? Yes, did. Do you like that at number nine? I mean, I like that. Really at, I do. I, I like that at number nine. Go ahead. Okay. Well, then number 10 is my guy. Do you know the guy I used to, when I first came on the show, I thought he was going to be a star, blah, blah, blah. It didn't pan out. The Punisher. Aristides huh. Aquino. Oh, my God. There it is. But but look at, if you oh look at the oh year 2019. I mean, I would be canceling that <laughs> subscription as fast as your tail. It could get out of town. I, I mean, are you kidding me? Let me okay, ask you me this the... one. Let me just ask you this question. Okay. okay? This yeah. is as simple as it gets, right? Of every guy you just named on that list, and I'm going to concede Votto, okay? Of two through ten that you just ripped off on that list, if you had a pitcher on the mound, and I'm going to say a right-handed pitcher because everybody faces more righties and lefties over their career. Right, for sure. If you've got a right-handed pitcher on the mound and you've got a runner at second base and two outs and your team's down a run in the bottom of the ninth inning and you've got to pick two through ten to have step in the box to deliver a base hit to tie the game. I mean, to me, numbers two and three are the biggest lead pipe cinches of all time. Who would to yours hit. be? Uh, to hit in that position? To, to bring them up? To hit with... Uh, it's, it, it, you you got to have a guy. 
that's going to get up there and battle and is going to deliver a base hit to tie the game. Okay, let me look at my list again. And I'm going to go with Aquino back in 2019. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'll go with Griffey. I, I, I don't think I would go with Dunn. I don't think Dunn was that clutch. But Griffey, I mean, I play with Griffey. I know what he's all about. I think I'd go with Griffey. I think I would go with Griffey over Votto. Yes? Look. The Cincinnati Red Ken Griffey Jr., no way. No way. The Seattle Mariner Ken Griffey Jr., okay, now you're talking. But if I got to have a knock, a guy who's going to put the bat on the ball, and more times than not, is not going to strike out. He's capable of fouling off tough pitches, extending the at-bat, and then delivering the knock. I'm taking Casey number two, Larkin number three. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like I the I mean, Larkin. there is no way Aquino, Suarez, Adam Dunn. I mean, come <laughs> on. See, I knew this would get you all bent out of shape. Wait till I ask Chat GBT who are the 10 greatest rock groups of all time, and the Rolling Stones aren't 1 through 10. They're like 15th. So you'll really get upset. But you see how you could pose these questions and get different answers. It's just uh, I thought it was interesting some of the some of the names they put up. But Suarez was a good player for the Reds. Do you not agree with that? Yeah, I, no, I, I agree a hundred percent on that. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. if you want somebody who's going to go up there and either strike out, walk, or hit one in the stands, and we know the likelihood of hitting hitting one in the stands is yeah. uh, is fractionally uh, uh, so small, then then Dunn's your guy. No, I'm not, I'm not ripping done. He he had a right. really good major league career, but he did. I mean, the second best hitter for the Cincinnati Reds over the last 25 years. I'm just the messenger, Tom. I'm just the messenger. Here, you know, when I used to do when I used to do uh, drive time WLW, we used to talk about topic A, and that would be the topic that everybody's talking about. Can I give you a topic that I find fascinating? And I think you will too, Tom. It's not sports related. Bobby De Niro having a child at 83 years old. Well, let's start with the fact that it's not Bobby De Niro. Let's start with the fact that it's Al Pacino. So let's just get that. AI must have messed that up somewhere (laughs) along the way. Well, De Niro's Niro's having one too. Like, oh, well, they're then both corrected. The, right. the story that Tracy's talking about here is Al Pacino, but like a month ago, it did come out that De Niro was also having one, and he's like seventy something, isn't he? Yeah, he's older than that. Sorry, right? no. But Pacino is eighty-two. Now, what are your 80. thoughts about that, Tracer? Well, well, to here, here not, what... To begin with, the woman he's with. If if I if I read the headline right, and I didn't get into the details of it, uh, <laughs> the woman is A, not his wife. B, she is 29 years young. Is that right? Yeah, I know she's a lot younger. But let me correct something that you said. Uh, If you're uh, kind of a Hollywood guy, which I am, I can call him Bobby De Niro. I know you you Midwesters call him 
Robert De Niro. I can call him Bobby, being from Southern California. A lot of people don't know that I'm from Southern California. But think about how fascinating that is to have a kid at 83. And I think it's outstanding. I don't think there's anything that makes you happier. And Tom, you could speak to this than having kids. Do you not no agree? Doubt. No doubt. I mean, think, think about that, to have a kid, all the money, and then to keep you young, having a child, a baby at 83 years old or 82 years old. I think it's a great story. And I start, you know who else did this? Uh, um, Randall, Tony Randall did it, right? Tony Randall had a kid okay. when he All was right. really old. Felix, okay. Felix Unger. Remember Felix Unger? Yes, I do. Felix. Yes. And uh, again, um, uh, Don King did as well. I'm just saying to have all that money and to have kids at a late stage in your life, I think is really cool. Could you see having a, a, a child that late, Tom? Well, look, uh, you know, uh, you, Nobody loves being a dad on the planet more than me. Uh, people yeah. maybe as much as me, uh, you, you too, and anybody who's a dad. I mean, how can you not love more than anything that will ever happen in your life more right. than being a dad? So you start with that. So on just the question of would I love being a dad all over again? Uh, no doubt about it. Would absolutely okay. love it. Um, but. Here's a question I would have for you, and, and I would have to ask myself this same question. I highly doubt Polly at her age is going to get pregnant, although I just, a, a lady we know uh, who has a junior in high school just found out two weeks ago she's 52 that she's pregnant. And I mean, they are like, they are so excited. They just cannot believe right. it, right? But anyway, so, um, but, but Tracy, you have always been close with your dad. I mean, you talk about yes. my dad coming and staying at your parents' yes. house when they come out to Southern California, right? Yeah. But you've all, I mean, and, and, and what an impact and how important he was uh, in your life day in and day out as a kid. You know, my only question about the whole thing is the, the, the kid more than likely is never going to get to know dad. I know. But it, but it's keeping it, it's keeping Pacino young though. I mean, it's kind of a selfish thing, I guess. I get your point. I never even thought about it from the kid's standpoint. I mean, he'll never go out and have a toss with his boy Willie because he's he's too old, and that that's your point. It's just I think it's cool. I think it's a great idea. I think it's what I might do when I get my fifth wife because I'll have FU money, I just might do that. I might have a kid with her. She might be in her dirty 30s, you know, uh, doing that. I might have a kid. Or, Tom, here's an idea. Let me throw this out. And you might think about it with your genes. What about freezing your sperm? Have you ever thought about that being a great broadcaster? That's a pot. You've got good genes now. You ever thought about that? It has never crossed my mind. Now, for you, being the athlete that you are, could you imagine if you did that and you teamed up with some, say, um, you know, uh, who wanted to, to carry uh, your child, uh, some, you know, unbelievable track athlete or something like that, right? Who's right out of USC or something. Yes, right? exactly. I mean, you, I mean it's got to be a Southern Californian, right? Like someone, let me give you an example, like that, uh, that female basketball player that was uh, 
was was captured and or in jail. Griner, what was her name? Griner, Griner. Yeah, yeah what yeah, about yeah. someone like that? Is that what we're talking? We're just talking about just genes. I tell you, you would, I tell you, I think about it. Can you imagine if if I did that and had a sperm bank and on my sperm the little tube would say MLB on it? How much you think that sperm would go for, Tom? Does Elliot have a response to that? <laughs> Elliot, can you imagine your sperm compared to my sperm, Elliot? I don't think that would be a fair comparison. I don't think so either. <laughs> Tracy, you're beating down, who, by the way, goes by the nickname Zebra. You are beating him down pretty hard right out of the gate here today. Yeah, let me, let me switch it to Polly. Polly, isn't that Taylor Swift concert coming up, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's the month of June now. We're, we're less than a month away. I hear she's having problems with that concert. Some pe the people that are coming to the concert are getting sick. Oh no, where's this going, Tracy? No, it's not going anywhere. I just read that. <laughs> I thought there was a punchline coming. No, I have no idea. Are they? Are they actually? The what kind of illness are they suffering? Yeah, what's from? what's the sickness? No, he's on to something here. I remember reading something about this. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I, right? I, and I don't know what it is, but uh, maybe somebody check it out. But you, you know, I, I will say this. And, and, and I, have, I have seen her uh, in concert when uh, our daughter was younger. We went up to Columbus to see her. Yeah. She, she's an unbelievable entertainer. She's on her game, uh, totally on her game. Uh, great performer. Um, but I, I will tell you this. She showed me something the other night, and maybe you've seen the video for it. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the video of her playing at Gillette Stadium in the pouring rain? Have you seen this video? No, I haven't, but she is a gamer. I mean, she if she's going to perform, I mean, she's going to give you the money. And I think I remember that concert, Tom, that you went to in Columbus. Was that the Faith Hill Tim McGraw? Remember when she opened up for those two? In uh, she, by, by this time, she was a headline act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But she, yeah. she's good in concerts. I like her a little cheesy, and she's a, a liberal, of course, uh, or, you know, kind of a, a yep. notch against Telling her, us all about climate change and flying around on her private plane. Uh, I mean, she falls right in line with the rest of your Hollywood elite friends. Uh, even yeah. even Washington elite friends, John Kerry, telling us all about climate change. Nobody's on a private plane more than that, dude. Yeah. Right? Don't, don't, we got to watch it, Tom. We got to watch it. There's a lot of those. We don't want to get canceled. We don't want to get canceled. But, Paul, remember, I know you're engaged, but you could still play the field at the Taylor Swift concert. Remember, when you go up to get something to drink or eat for your, for your girl, your fiancé, collect those phone numbers from the girls there there's going to be a lot of girls out there it's going to be easy pickings got to have a plan b in life yeah so i i was talking to her last night because i mentioned that we've been doing this show now for the entire school year and her last day of school was yesterday so i mentioned that now that she'd actually be able i don't think she's watching right now i think she has one little party left that she has to go to today but i, I mentioned that you know the tracy jones segments Tuesday and Thursday. They might be something worth tuning in for now over summer break. Uh, Tracy, Ooh. we have all kinds of people that are making suggestions about uh, women. Okay, well, uh, here, let me, get, let me get my pen out. Go ahead. Okay, now, I mean, th this is all over the board, so I'm just going to, you know, run through some of these as I move along here. 
Uh, Olivia Dunn. Who is Olivia Dunn? Oh, boy. <laughs> She's the gymnast. She's the She's NIL the LSU sponsor. gymnast. Yeah. She's oh. like 20. She's oh, famous on TikTok. Okay, but okay, but what I'm saying is she's she's an athlete. She's young, right? Yeah. Okay, we're just talking about if you were to pair two athletes together. I'm not suggesting Tracy runs around with some college girl. It's not what I'm saying. He's a married guy. Okay. Um, what about Martha Stewart? <laughs> oh God! See that I don't need to be on the show and get insulted on that. I'm not. <laughs> uh, what about on the cover, Tracy? Now, you know, uh, how about Ariana Grande? Oh, she was the one who she... badmouthed the United States, right? Isn't that the one ripped into the United States about what a terrible place it is? Yeah, I can't, right. Yeah, I don't like that. Be a good match. Attractive. Se- uh, Selma Hayek. Oh yeah, Selma. Very nice. Very well endowed lady. Okay. Uh, somebody nice. suggested uh, Kate Upton, but she's married. Uh, Kamala Harris, but she's <laughs> married too. Um, yeah, Mar- Ma- Martha Stewart came up in the chat. What about Taylor Swift? She's single. Yeah, she's got that mousy look. You know, I tell you a girl that I should have should, probably should have married if you're talking about jeans. Tom, do you remember me talking about my girlfriend from East St. Louis? Do you remember her? Very no. athletic. Yeah, I remember you talking a- about the girl in, uh, I think, Oregon. And then as you got moved up in the minor leagues, I think you said you sort of moved up. I can't yeah, remember where up. that was. Somewhere in Pennsylvania, am I right about that? Or maybe in the Eastern League somewhere? I don't know where it was. But you yeah. said you sort you, of you just, moved up. But we, we never right. heard about St. Louis. No. Yeah, she was very athletic. And she used to take me when I was in East St. Louis and would take me around. Her parents were very proud of me. And they would take me around and she would just, and I wasn't even that good back then. She would introduce me as her major league boyfriend. So there was that connection that we had. And I still think to this day, I probably should have married her. She was very athletic and very proud of me. What about, Drew Bar- what about Drew Barrymore? Nah, she's a little too she's a little too chunky. I like big women though. There's I do like them. They work a lot harder. But yeah. Kim Kardashian. Mm. That's some damaged goods there. Well, but I mean I'm saying you you're a Southern California kind of guy, and she is the quintessential Southern yeah. California gal. I'm thinking more Chloe. I kind of like Chloe since she's lost some weight. I like her. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, hey, what you did come prepared today. I mean, Lord knows. Where would we be without uh, AI and um, who your next child should be born with? Um, yes. On the red legs front, all this talk, Tracer. Yep. All this talk. Right? Jonathan India. Should he be traded? Should he change positions? I'm being very serious when I ask this. You've got all these young infielders, right? You don't have a lot of outfielders on the radar right now, as far as prospects are concerned. Mm-hmm. Would you ask Jonathan India to move to the outfield so you could bring De La Cruz up? Or is that unfair to do as Scott Boris, who was on the program yesterday, pointed out? probably would be asking a little much to do it in the middle of a season. 
I think I think you could ask them to move to the outfield. What I think would be difficult, and there's someone that did this, is move from the outfield to the infield. Think about what Pete Rose did to get George Foster into the lineup. See, everybody talks about Pete getting hits and everything. I know I'm getting off subject matter, but what he did there was tremendous. Who moves from the outfield to third base, which is one of the difficult positions to play, and does a pretty good job at third base and doesn't complain. Can in you the middle, in the that? middle of the season, who does that? <laughs> the ninety-nine and nine tenths player would say, "Kiss my ass." I can see an infielder. Robin Yount did that right from shortstop to yep. center field. There's been players, so I think India could do it. Uh, but the the other side, outfield to infield, there's just no way. And Dela Cruz has got to play. I mean, does he play short and you move McLean over to second base? What do you do? McLean's a stud. McLean got, you know what, player of the week. I mean, the guy's hitting the hell out of the ball, but Dela Cruz has got to be called up. You can't do anything more than what he's doing, right? Yeah, I mean, you he's know, the Tracy, number one prospect of baseball. You know, Tracy, I, I don't know if you caught any of our interview with Scott Boris yesterday. We had him for about 50 minutes yesterday. And, and you know, he, he just said some things that I just uh, found to be so fascinating. But one of the things was when a player is called up from the minor leagues, and, and you remember what it's like for you, you've got so many things on your mind, so many things. On top yeah. of the fact that you're about to realize a dream that you've had probably since T-ball is actually happening. But he yeah. said one of the things that, that, that can really hurt a young player coming to the big leagues is, you know, guys like you, and I, I say this with the utmost seriousness, guys like you and all the rest of these guys, they were the best players on their team since they were in T-ball and through elementary school and high school, college, or minor leagues, or whatever, playing every day. Now all of a sudden you come to the big leagues and you're being asked to play three, four days a week, which is something that has never been on your radar during your entire athletic life. And how that more so than, you know, your talent can dramatically affect how productive you are to start your major league career. You buy that? Not really, because you're playing three or four. I mean, you're playing through the minor leagues, so you get used to, to playing. No, no, no. What I'm saying is is that you're used to playing every day in the minor leagues, okay? okay. So say a guy like McLean. He's been lucky that since he's been brought up here, he is playing every single day, all right? Okay. If you bring De La Cruz up here, well, somebody's got to sit out. And if you're not going to move India, and the natural move would be sending McLean to second base, well, now all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying here. De La Cruz and okay. McLean probably don't play every day. Oh, and, and see, if that's the case, then you don't bring them up. You know, we talked about this last time on the show. You bring those guys up, you got to play them. You play them until, not until they drop, but you got to play them every day. I would have the conversation with India, move him to the outfield. I think you've got McLean and Dela Cruz. You've got a chance. That's a hell of a up the middle, isn't it? I mean, it, it really long, is. Long that is time. so top notch. It's very exciting. I think the Reds are pointing the right direction. And remember, I said this last time. If you've got those shortstops, you could always move those guys to the outfield. They can play center field. They can play left field. Dela Cruz would be a great right fielder, right? 
he could play right field. I just think the future's looking bright. Just got to accumulate those number one starters. Yeah, I mean, I see. I, I look at it for no no other reason. You've talked about you playing with tall, big guys who are shortstops or against mm. him, Ripken and A-Rod and so on and so forth. But I just look at De La Cruz, and I see Vladimir Guerrero Sr. <laughs> yeah, that's a good comparison. It right? really is. Yeah. I mean, he, he can really – I said this last time. I'm kind of fascinated to watch video on him because he can do so many things. I mean, the ball jumps off his bat. He's got, like, the best arm in baseball. He can run. And I'm thinking, I mean, if the Reds can keep him for – I mean, this could be – I know I'm jumping the gun. This could be the greatest Reds of all, Red of all time because the Reds have never had a number one guy coming out of the minors, I don't think, right? They, and you made the point last time as well, we didn't do this during the Johnny Bench time. But you right. still rank the minor leaguers, and uh, I just, I just, I just think he's going to be a star. I really do. Well, we might see him sooner rather than later, maybe as early as this weekend. Uh, who knows? But it's going to be fun down at the ballpark. Brewers are coming into town. Reds will play tonight. They're only three games out of first. Team they're chasing's Milwaukee. They'll be here tomorrow. You got the Zach Brown band down there tomorrow night. Uh. You're a big Zach Brown band guy. You know, I'm a country country guy. I've seen all the country concerts, but I have not seen Zach Brown. I'll tell you where I'm going here in about a half hour. I'm going to, boy, I'm getting tan. Maybe too tan. Um, I'm going out by our pool. Uh, and our pool. Tom, I've been to a lot of pools, Vegas, all that stuff, the Mirage, the Hilton, all that. You have never seen so many good-looking girls that are out by our pool. I mean, I shouldn't call them girls. I should ca probably call them probably the best-looking gilfs I've ever seen in my life. They are beautiful. If you like them like over 80, 80 and over, my pool is perfect for them. That's where I'm going after this show, Tom. Well, you know, Martha Stewart's on the cover of uh, what's the magazine? Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated. You know, so, hey. Uh, sounds How old like is Martha Stewart? How 80. old is Martha Stewart? 80, I think they said. That's disgusting. 80-year-old? That's gross, Tom. You're better than that. I, I'm That's not making Ellie any commentary on it one or the other. I'm just saying it is a statement of fact that she is on the cover. Is that the swimsuit edition? Absolutely. Martha <laughs> yeah. Stewart is on the cover of Sports <laughs> Illustrated swimsuit issue. You so, just, you I mean, God bless you. She looks great. I think she looks great. Yeah, if you walk around with blinders, I guess. Fraser, have a good weekend. All right. See you, boys. See you, Elliot. See ya. See, see you, Tracy. All right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. We started going off the rails. We continue to go off the rails. <laughs> I, uh, we have a cherry on top. We have one. We do? Yeah, we do. You sure we're going to get to it? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the next step here, Tom. So hold on just a second. We have it. Yeah, okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. Cherry on Top presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right. Uh, All right, what do we got going on here? So we're not going to watch the whole video. But check this out. They got air-conditioned helmets now. There's no sound here. I don't know if it's copyrighted or not, so we're rolling without sound. <laughs> but check this out. They have 
air conditioning now in their helmets, which I think well, that's got to be a good thing, right? You're doing two a days in July, and it's like a hundred degrees down there at in LSU, Louisiana. Yeah, Alabama, same thing. I mean, that's got to be that's an elite addition to a uniform. Now there could be an issue with the visor wearers because it's going to cause a fog if they're playing in the heat there, right? Ooh. So we're going to have a little blinder. If, Good the, point. If, the, if the cold air is blowing at the at the warm blinder. Science. Brian Kelly, big league operator down there. Yeah. He shows up and you get air conditioning in your health. <laughs> a lot of people are saying LSU. They're the team to beat down there. Have you are you a fan Tom are you a fan of Brian Kelly's videos? I like videos? Brian Kelly. Do you like but do you like the videos he makes when he recruits a new prospect? I've not like, seen him. Okay, so when he whenever he gets a new guy, he makes like a TikTok with him and he dances with him. Really? Yeah, they're very funny. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I mean, I haven't seen one, but I think it sounds like it's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, old guy can't be doing." What was cooler this year in the NCAA tournament than Larinaga dancing around in the locker room? Yeah. Right. Yeah, Jerome Tang the same way with Kansas State. Yeah. Yeah, but Larinaga is an old guy. Oh yeah. Yeah, and Kelly, he, he's not old, old, but he's older than you know some of these other guys running around. I mean, good for him. Good for him. I, I know a lot of people around here, UC fans, despise Kelly. I don't like the way he left at all. I would never condone that, but I like the guy. So, Tom, you are not here tomorrow, correct? Correct. I have to go to a funeral. It was, it's very sad. We have a family in our, our little town, uh, and, and where we live, you, you know just about everybody. And wonderful woman named uh, Kristen Crowley, um, she has two sons, one in Luke's grade, uh, just graduated from St. X a couple days ago. Uh, she was diagnosed with cancer about a year and a half ago, been uh, going through anything and everything in the treatments, and uh, she sadly passed. So our whole town is having a uh, celebration of life in the town for Kristen Crowley, her husband, Sean, their sons, Peter and Patrick, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with them. So tomorrow, is somebody, are you sitting in? Yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to have Reed sit up there. Elliot will be sitting here. Jacob will be sitting over there, and we're going to do the show box lunch style. Uh, I don't know if it'll go the whole two hours, but we will do as much of the show as we can. We're still working on whether we're going to bring a guest on or not or how we're going to work on that. But it'll basically be a box lunch substitution for – off the bench tomorrow, and that's how we're going to roll with it. Boy, the uh, the read uh, the read detractors are out in full floor as soon as you said that. <laughs> yeah. So tomorrow, Serboy Wonder had an idea on Twitter last night that we switch it up, and you know we've rotated who does the chat rankings every week, and so now what the chat is going to do to flip it on us is to do a chatterbox personnel rankings. So the chat will rank us. Really? Yeah. For this week. However they want to do well, it. I mean, you, we do the, the, the chat rankings on a weekly basis. Yeah. So they're going to be judging that on how all of us did this week? I think, I think the first one tomorrow for the inaugural chat rankings, I think, we, uh, I think they do it just based on a whole. Because, like, Casey's not here yesterday, today, reads out today. Well, I don't know if that matters for the chat. But <laughs> poor Reed. Poor Reed. But – uh, 
Yeah, I, I think they do it as a whole for the first one, and then from there okay. we go week to week. Okay. So we'll see. Because everybody can have a good week and a bad week. Yeah, but I think I think for the first one to kind of set the tone, we do it. We do it based on the top. I don't know how they're going to organize this. They got to figure out how to organize this. Well, so. I would like to just say that I mean I you know, well no look I, I'm not going to try and influence the voting here. Okay, I'm not. But just remember that Casey is getting married Saturday. I know. I'm not trying to influence a voting. All right, gentlemen, well done. <laughs> we figured it out. We had a Paul, Zebra, Jacob, you guys done good, <laughs> as my grandfather used to say. We uh, we had a shaky start, but we got things figured out, and now we're good. And tomorrow we're going to be great. Yeah. Okay. And the rest of the week, because we <laughs> we got five more of these next week. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my god i'm starting not to feel well i think maybe we'll see how it goes. all right hey look all of you uh i'll see you next week good lord willing uh have a great weekend gentlemen thanks again good luck tomorrow and thanks. we'll see you tomorrow on off the bench presented by united dairy farmers see you later